The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. As we stay standing, I want to read a passage of scripture to us. It's going to come up on the screen, so you can have your eyes open or shut. If you've been a Christian for a while, you might be really familiar with this passage, and I just want to encourage us to kind of let it wash over us and seep into us. So whatever's helpful for you to do, if you want to lift your hands, like I say, close your eyes if you want, keep your eyes open if you prefer to read it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Father, we come before you this morning so grateful for your grace. So grateful for your kindness, the immeasurable riches. God, there's so many words in this. We could dwell on little words, little phrases and be here all day. It's so wonderful. And God, so many of us, we're so familiar with this. So I pray, would you bring it with fresh power this morning by your Holy Spirit. And for those who've never heard the wonders of your grace before, would you come and pour it into their hearts by your Holy Spirit? God, would you come and do a deep work in each of us this morning, whether we've never heard this before or whether we've heard it a million times, God, would you come and do the bit that only you can do and work in our hearts, push these nutrients, this nutrient of grace deeper into us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to take your seats. This morning, I pretty much want to just remind us that God's grace is amazing. I've got um, a talk that I think is so simple, and I'm really mindful that for many of us here, we've heard about the fact that we are saved by grace so many times, which is why I wanted to start by praying, because I think God wants to do something and bring it to us afresh today. And as I prayed, if you're here and you've never heard it before, I'm praying that God is going to just enlighten your heart this morning In a nutshell, God's grace. Grace is the riches of God that we gain because of what Jesus has done on the cross. By dying in our place, by rising from the dead, 
There's so many things that Jesus bought for us on the cross. His blood paid for our adoption into God's family. It paid for the forgiveness of our sins. It paid for our freedom from slavery to sin and death. It paid for our righteousness, our unlimited, unhindered access to God the Father who is holy. We can come into his throne room this morning by grace. And there's so many things I could say. I think, again, we could just be here all day if I listed everything that Jesus won for us at the cross. But even just the few things I've just mentioned, if we truly grasp them, would be enough for us to adore and worship Jesus for all eternity. He suffered in our place. Jesus died in our place. He took the punishment for sin in our place. If you've heard this stuff a million times, just let it wash over you afresh. He took the punishment for sin in our place. He took the wrath and the judgment of God that we deserved. Jesus took it in our place. And he gave us the right to become children of God. That's why we've been worshipping this morning. It's why we sing. It's why we celebrate. It's why we clap. It's why we raise our hands. It's why sometimes we just feel like we can't contain it. Because we have become the treasured possession of God. Not because we had anything about us that qualified us. The starting place for understanding the grace of God, why it's so amazing and so astonishing, is to understand that God is holy and we are not. It's only when we see God as he is and ourselves as we truly are, when we see ourselves in our complete and utter sinfulness, it is only then that we can understand God's mercy, God's grace, his kindness, and his love for us. Now, most people don't like being called sinners. And I've just started out right there, haven't I? But most of us, we don't like to be called sinners. It doesn't seem like a nice thing to say to someone, hey, you're a sinner. Even um, for some of us who've been Christians for a long time, we can forget how bad we were. We can forget how totally covered and caked in sin we were. I was only 15 when I became a Christian. And I remember in those early days as a Christian, I thought, well, I haven't even been alive that long. What could I possibly have done wrong so far? I'm getting chuckles from people who knew me when I was 15, which is a bit of a worry. It is funny, though, now. I look back at that and I just think... Gosh, you only actually have to spend a little bit of time with your own kids or with someone else's kids to realise that almost as soon as you can walk and talk, you can sin. Almost as soon as you can walk and talk, you, you find that there's this innate rebelliousness um, and kind of defiance and it just starts coming out. The word no is a word we are quick to learn, isn't it? I was on a train this week sitting with a woman and her two kids and I would have guessed the ages of these kids at about three and six years old and they were clearly really enjoying being disobedient. The little girl who was the youngest, I reckon she was about three, she looked at me and she smiled and then she whacked her brother. <laughs> and then she, she got told off. A few seconds later, she looked at me again. She grinned. She looked like one of those kids who looks so sweet. You know, she looked like butter wouldn't melt. And then she looked at me and she smiled. And then she just went like this and tipped over an, an open bottle of water. So it went all over the table. And these kids were clearly really enjoying 
being naughty. And I think if you spend a bit of time with kids, not that long, I haven't got kids, but I've spent time with some of yours. (laughs) I might get in trouble for that later. But you don't have to spend a lot of time with kids for it to make sense what David writes in Psalm 51, which is this, surely I was sinful at birth. Naughty kids on a train may not sound like that big a deal, but in the Ephesians passage I read at the start, it says we were dead in our sins. Dead in our sins. It says we were children of wrath. And in Romans 5, it says we are enemies, or we were enemies of God. We need to understand this clearly. I'm, I'm kind of really enjoying understanding this clearly afresh, that we were in an absolutely dire predicament and we were absolutely powerless to do anything about it. There was nothing we could do to change our situation. If it depended on us, we were in an utterly hopeless state. And actually, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus... The Bible says that you are right now still in that dire situation and you are in desperate need of a saviour. Why? The reason why is because we've sinned. All of us, every single one of us, we've all done things wrong. Now, I know that some of us will be sitting here thinking, yeah, I know that full well about myself. I know that I am a sinner. But others of us might think, well, do you know what? I'm not sure I am that bad. I think I'm all right. If I was to top up a column of the bad things I've done and a column of the good things I've done, then maybe all the good things far outweigh the bad things. But to be honest, it kind of depends who we're comparing ourselves to. Because when we think about whether we're good people or not, we tend to look at the most evil people who have ever existed or even just people who are really, really bad, where we would agree this is bad. So when we think of... um, people who are abusers or murderers or who are violent and so on. When we think about people like that, we can think, well, I'm not as bad as them. I'm doing all right by comparison with some of the most evil or horrible people around. But we were created by a holy God to be like him. We were created to be holy. We were supposed to be perfect. We were supposed to be righteous. We were supposed to be blameless. So when we're wondering how sinful we are, the measure isn't the most evil person who's existed. The measure isn't the person who's hurt you the most. The measure isn't the person sitting next to you right now. The measure is how we were created to be. The measure is how we were meant to live. And we were meant to be perfect, holy, and blameless. We were supposed to live in a world with no sin. Just imagine what that would have looked like. Wouldn't it have been amazing? All the things that do us harm, all the ways in which we harm other people, none of that should have existed. There should have been nothing that could hurt us or anyone else. There would have been no violence, no lying, no greed, no exploiting other people for your own selfish gain. No selfishness at all. No putting yourself first, even if it hurts someone else. No racism, no abuse, no sexism, no domestic violence, no gossip, no saying something about someone else that wasn't true, no sickness, no poverty, no injustice, no death. It would have been wonderful. Wouldn't it have been wonderful? And God gave us only one rule, 
one thing we weren't allowed to do, Adam and Eve were told, don't eat from this one tree. And they blew it. They exchanged walking in paradise with God for an apple. Now, of course, it's not quite that simple. They didn't just want the apple, but, but that's essentially what happened. They traded walking alongside God in his presence in paradise for an apple. And we might think, how stupid were they? But the truth is that every single one of us has been doing that every day of our lives ever since. We've all been doing it. We've been choosing our own rules. We've been wanting our own way. We don't want to follow God. We want to do what we want to do. And even for some of us who've been Christians for a really long time, we still struggle with this, don't we? Well, I think I'm not alone in it. Sometimes God wants me to do stuff and I don't want to do it. Sometimes God doesn't want me to do stuff and I do want to do it. Tim Keller, who's an American church leader, says this. You are more sinful and flawed than you could ever dare imagine. And you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope at the same time. We are more sinful and flawed than we know. Even for those of us who think, do you know what, I know how awful the things I've done are. I know how awful the things I think are. We are worse than we know. Why does it matter? Why does it matter if we sin? It matters because God is holy. It matters because God never does anything wrong. He never has a wrong thought. He cannot sin against you. He can't do you any wrong because he is holy. He can't sin. He's perfect. He's pure. He's blameless. He's resplendent and beautiful in his holiness. And holiness and sin can't be together in the same space at the same time. If we come near God in our sinful state, with nothing being done about our sins, his holiness will consume us. It's not, it's not that God just doesn't like sin, it's that he cannot exist around it because his holiness will consume it. It will burn it up. If we think of it like this, think of you and me, um, and our, it's sitting in our sin like being like dry grass. And then think of the holiness of God as like a wildfire. It just consumes everything in its path. And actually, worse than that, if I can mix my metaphors a little bit, we're like dry grass that's then had petrol poured all over it. Before coming to Jesus, we are absolutely soaked in our sin. And not just kind of soaked from the outside, but we're soaked from the inside. It just comes out of us. We are totally immersed in it and our hearts have been hardened and they're like stone before a holy God, unable to respond to him. As Ephesians says, dead, totally dead in our sin. Let's have a quick look at the Ten Commandments. Number one, don't have any gods before the Lord. Do you know what? I think all of us fall at the first hurdle. We make gods of all sorts of things, money, sex, status, wealth, jobs, family, food, even church. We make these things into gods and we worship or idolise them in place of God. Then the second one is don't have any idols. We've already covered that. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Honour your father and mother. We're halfway through and I've got a full set already. 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Basically, don't lie. Don't covet someone else's possessions. I feel like if this was a game of bingo, I would be shouting full house because Jesus says that to get angry with someone is the same as murdering them. And he says that to look lustfully at someone who isn't your husband or wife is to um, commit adultery. So by Jesus' definition of the Ten Commandments, I have committed every single one of them. I've broken every single one of them. And I think we all have. And even if you're doing okay on those, maybe you're thinking, actually, I'm not as bad as you now. I'm doing all right, actually. Well, Jesus said the greatest commandment is for us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. So now I think most of us are in real trouble, aren't we? But it gets even worse than that. Brian, if you can chuck up my filthy rag. The Bible says all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So when we come and we say, but God, I've done this good deed. I helped that old lady cross the road or, you know, I've given to charity or whatever. The Bible says it's like this filthy rag. Even our good deeds are tainted and steeped in sin. And I see this at work in my own life. If I'm honest with you, I I do something good and kind or generous, and I immediately notice how proud of myself I feel. I start thinking, hey, do you know what? I'm pretty good. I'm all right. And I also quite like people to know about the good things I do, because I'd quite like you to all be really impressed with me. I'm just being honest. I would. I like it when people think, wow, nah, she's a godly woman. She's a mature Christian. The truth is that before knowing Jesus, I was full of evil thoughts and wicked deeds. And despite even my best intentions, my good deeds were like this filthy rag. Imagine it like the screen behind me. For the most part, it's pretty blank, isn't it? It's spotless, it's blameless, apart from the little logo in the bottom. That, But we'll ignore that bit. But imagine that that's kind of my soul. But then I start sinning and it's like spreading muck across my soul. Maybe I start with a small thing. I just tell a lie. And there it is. And then I do a good deed, but I do it just so that I can look good in front of you. And here we go again. It's like spreading muck across my soul. We might think that some sins are worse than others, but the truth is that every kind of sin mars and stains our souls and makes them like that dry grass with the petrol poured on top of it that God cannot come near without his holiness totally consuming it. This is what Tim Keller means when he says we're worse than we think we are. We are. Given the right circumstances, we have the potential for all kinds of sin. But there's good news. But God, there is good news in the beauty and the power and the magnificence and the splendor of the Christian message is this, that though my sins are as scarlet, they can be washed white as snow. Our sins completely washed away by the death of Jesus on the cross. His blood poured out washes me clean. I am cleansed from all unrighteousness. By the grace of God, Jesus dies in my place when I'm dead, when I'm an enemy, when I'm soaked in sin and I am powerless and hopeless to save myself. Jesus washes away my sins, like we read at the start. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Even if we've known this for decades, isn't it wonderful to just remember it again? God has made a way so that we can be reconciled to him. God wants to forgive our sins. If you're sitting here this morning or you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, he wants to forgive your sins. He made a way so that our hearts that were so saturated in sin could be brought back to him, could be made alive again to the things of God, could be completely cleansed from all unrighteousness. We've been saved by grace and every little bit of it was initiated by God. Every little bit of it. The plan to rescue us was God's idea. We didn't come saying, God, we need help. We didn't know we needed help. The plan to rescue us, it all came from God. The desire to forgive us, it's all God. It's all him. The devotion to adopt us into his family and make us his cherished children, all God's idea. Your faith in Jesus, my faith in Jesus God's gift to us. We couldn't even come up with that bit. It's come from him as a gift. Our repentance, even being sorry for our sin, the Bible says it's a gift of God to us. My desire for Jesus is God's work in my heart. None of it is me. All of it is him. Thank God for that. All of it is him. All you and I brought to the table was our sin. All we brought was our brokenness. All we brought was our failures and our mistakes. Even our good deeds like that filthy rag. Filthy with no way to be made clean. And it stinks as well, by the way, that rag. If we think we have got any way of bargaining with God... If we think we've got any kind of credentials or qualifications that can get us into the presence of a holy God, if we think we've got anything to offer him, actually the Bible says that's a really dangerous place to be, relying on ourselves and our self-righteousness because we are trying to get something that is so far out of our reach, we haven't got a hope. Many of us here have been Christians for a long time. And we're very familiar with God's grace. But if you're anything like me, isn't it so easy to slip back into thinking that we've got something to bring? Isn't it so easy to slip back into thinking that we have to do something, we have to strive, we have to work hard? And I know that when I sin, I often feel like I've got to do some sort of penance to get my way back into God's good books. I I, I forget so easily that I can run straight in because of what Jesus has done. The Bible says that if we forget that we're saved by grace, 
and we start trying to earn things from God, the Bible calls us foolish. If we come to God, whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time and say, you know, look, God, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm, I've done some good things, actually. It's like coming to God with buckets full of manure and trying to buy gold. Picture it like this. Imagine you're trying to buy a massive mansion. And you walk into this estate agent and you, you've been to see this mansion and it's got a swimming pool. Maybe it's got an indoor one and an outdoor one. It's got a gym and it's in acres of beautiful land and it's just the most incredible mansion. And you come to the estate agent and you go, here's my bucket of manure. Can I have it, please? The estate agent would just look at you like you were crazy. But God, by his grace, says, yeah, okay. I'll take that bucket of manure and I'll let you have this incredible mansion. Now, that picture doesn't really do it justice because it's impossible to do justice to what God has done by his grace. But God has taken, he's given us this glorious exchange where he basically says, yeah, I'll take your bucket of manure and I will give you all of my riches because Jesus paid for them. All we bring is our sin. We have nothing to offer. Nothing, nothing but sin. That's what we come with. That's what we come to Jesus with, what we come to God with. But by grace, because Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, we get all of God's riches at Christ's expense. By grace, we have been saved. It's a gift. It's a gift. God, in his extraordinary kindness to us, has given us his immeasurable riches. Let me just list a few of these things. By grace, we have been chosen to belong to God. We have been adopted into his family. We have been forgiven all our sins. Even the worst one you can call to mind right now. We have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus, that, that sin-soaked heart becomes completely clean in Christ. We've been saved from the wrath of God, the wrath that we deserved. We've been made alive with Christ. I feel like there should be a little bit more excitement in the room at these things, to be honest with you. I'm trusting it's in your hearts on the inside. We have been washed clean by his blood. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We have been saved, rescued, ransomed, healed, delivered, with Jesus preparing a place for us for all eternity to be with him. And all of it, every single bit of it, is a gift from God made possible by Jesus dying on the cross. Every single bit of it. It is the most glorious exchange, isn't it? Jesus dies in my place, taking my sin and replacing it with his righteousness so that I now come before a holy God knowing that I am clean, I am blameless, I am pure, I am spotless because I have been given the righteousness of Christ as a gift by grace. It's wonderful. It's beyond our comprehension. It's why we sing songs like we've sung this morning with words like how marvelous, how wonderful. Words cannot do justice to the incredible grace that God has lavished upon us in saving us. 
It's why we sing things like amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, later in this nutrient series, Sam and Janair are going to look at what it means to live by grace. How actually, though we bring nothing from the start, we then start to live a holy life by the grace of God. They're going to bring that. You're going to have to wait a few weeks for that, I'm afraid. This morning, I just wanted to focus on the saving grace that pardons our sins. That brings us into the presence of a holy God. If you have put your trust in Jesus and given your life to him, if you've asked him to be your Lord and Saviour, then you are his. You belong to him. Not because of works. There's nothing you can boast about. You've done nothing. All you've contributed is your sin. Not because you're a pretty good person and you do all right. Not because you've got more in the good column than in the bad column. No. Not because you chose him even but just because he chose you and wanted you. The Bible states it plainly in lots of different ways, but here's one of my favourite ones. This is from 2 Samuel 14, verse 14, where it says, God devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. I love it. God devises ways. It's like, it makes me kind of picture God like a schemer. God schemes to get us into his family because he wants to forgive us. The Bible says that God delights to show mercy. He loves to do it. He is lavish with his grace. Lavish with it. I know I've said this a few times, but let me say it again. You brought nothing but your sin. I brought nothing but my sin. All we came with was a billion reasons why God shouldn't let us in. But he loves us. He loves us and he wants us and he devises ways to get us. If I could ask the band to come back up, please. You know, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come to know him today. Right here, right now, you can exchange all your sin this morning. Every wrong thing you've ever said, every wrong thing you've ever thought or done, Even your um, filthy rags, your good things, your things that don't quite measure up, no matter how big your pile of sins, no matter how awful the things you've done are, you can come this morning and you can exchange all that for peace with God. You can know peace with your creator, with the holy God we've been worshipping this morning. You can, from this morning, know the joy of knowing Jesus. The one the Bible calls Lord and Saviour, Son of God, Redeemer, Rescuer, Wonderful Counselor. He's our beautiful Saviour. He's the Prince of Peace. And you can come this morning and have the absolute wonder of knowing that all your sin is gone and your heart is made clean by the blood of Jesus and by the grace of God. You can have your conscience cleansed. Whatever plagues you as you're falling asleep at night, you can have your conscience cleansed, your sins forgiven, your soul set free, and full and unfettered access to the throne room of God can be yours from this moment this morning. You can come before a holy God without having to fear that you'll be consumed if you put your trust in Jesus.
you can come and say, here's my sin and know that in a moment you have gained the righteousness of Christ. The grace of God is magnificent. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It seems like it's too good to be true, but it is true. 